Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in 1 Peter. We've been, as a church, going through 1 Peter, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Nice and high. Any Bibles, anybody? Like not only to hear the Word of God, but to see it. Verse 12. Peter, by the Holy Spirit, says this, Beloved. Beloved means they're loved by God, loved by Him. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when His glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached, that means insulted. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we can't come here this morning. We came here, and we're here, Lord, and it's to hear from you. It's to change. We come here with the hope of becoming more like you, Jesus, and we understand and all agree that's not going to happen without us reading your word and obeying it. Lord, bring us to that place of understanding and obedience this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Hey, one last uh, announcement before we begin. One of the announcements was the ministry meeting. We have probably about 60 people or 70 people in this church who are in ministry in some capacity. And we meet three times a year. And we're meeting on the first or second week of November on a Saturday. But I just want to tell any of you who are, uh, have uh, not yet in ministry that we do have needs at this church. We have outstanding gaps in ministry. There's uh, children's ministry, both morning and evening. There's a ministry where we, we drive in uh, kids from uh, some areas around here to church. And uh, whether you drive or not, we're willing to have you, not that we would put you behind the wheel if you don't know how to drive, but we have two adults 
uh, who are in this ministry. Ushering, greeting, we have needs there. Also, you worship folks, uh, don't hide, particularly if you're a percussion, by the way. If you're a percussion person, we need you. Uh, We'd love to talk with you. So talk with me or Greg or one of the other leaders uh, uh, if you are interested in serving in this church, it's really serving in the, the body of Christ is a, uh, it's just an important part of our growth with the Lord. So, and then the ministry meetings is, is a few weeks later. So I uh, wanted to make you aware of that. First Peter chapter 4, we've been away from this book just a couple of weeks, the setting Actually, this is a letter, the setting for the letter, a persecution had broken out all over the known world against the followers of Jesus. Two-thirds of the city of Rome had been burned down. The Roman Emperor Nero blamed it on Christians. You can only imagine, uh, just think about Boston, two-thirds burning down. That's what happened to this city. You can imagine just the all-out chaos uh, some of you remember the pictures of, of, of 9-11, just the complete chaos um, of after 9-11. And that was just a small part of, uh, of that city in New York. But uh, uh, this, the outrage, the despair, among the confusion, and then to have all of that unle- unleashed on a people who were at that time a small minority. They were a small minority of the population of Rome Christians. You can imagine the fear gripping the hearts in this Christian community. Uh, Soon they were being arrested. They were being sentenced to death, executed. Literally overnight, this relatively uh, unknown group of people, Nero had to choose his scapegoat wisely. He wasn't going to choose a group with a lot of power, right? He chooses this really powerless group and just amazing. Throughout the Bible, God uses the small to change in the, 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 the multitudes, really. And that's what would happen with this small group of people who began to be persecuted. And, and so they started getting this unknown group of people is now known. They were getting a lot of attention. The spotlight is on them. You know, at this time, there was um, a law requiring every citizen to pledge his loyalty to the emperor once a year. Once a year, you had to go and and put a little uh, incense, burn a little incense on an altar and say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, or rather, Caesar is Lord. (laughs) But the problem uh, that Christians had, of course, was that um, Jesus was Lord. Now, your average Roman citizen didn't have a problem saying Caesar is Lord or the emperor is Lord because they had many lords. They had many gods. And so just going to uh, an altar and saying Caesar is Lord wasn't a big deal to them. Some religions are still like that. In the Hindu religion, they have no problem in the Hindu religion saying Jesus is Lord because they have many lords. But for Christians, this was a big problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 says this, Yet for us, meaning Christians, there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we are for Him, and, the, and one Lord, 
Jesus Christ, through whom all are all things and through whom we live. So persecution breaking out, family members taken away to prison, many put to death, Christians losing their home, suffering from beginning to end. That's what this uh, letter is about. Why? Why, Peter? He was, word was sent to him. This man who had spent three years with Jesus. Why the suffering? So he begins with the explanation. In chapter 1, he says, uh, this suffering, it's being brought about. God is fully aware of it. It's to test you. It's to refine you, to, to test you. So you can, uh, it'll be revealed whether your faith is genuine or not to yourself, to everyone around you. It'll be, uh, um, this will actually wind up being an encouragement as you're, as you're, you're tested and you, you come out on the other side of the suffering as the real thing, but also why the suffering he mentions in chapter one, for a refining, just like gold, gold goes through a refining process where the impurities are, are, are literally burned off. And, and we do have things about our faith that, is, that are impure, that need to be burned away. And, and, and Peter's saying, uh, this, is, this is, is the reason uh, for the, the suffering. But then in chapter two, he, he goes deeper than this and he tells them uh, something that may have come as a shock to them. He says, as followers of Jesus Christ, this suffering, this is what you, this is what you were called to. You were called to this. He said. In 2 Peter 20, in 20, uh, 21, it says, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God, for to this you were called. Now, he repeats himself throughout the book because, like anything else, when we hear something, they as well as us, when we hear something we don't want to hear, we try to just wiggle our way out of it and just say, well, this is just one verse in the whole Bible. Well, it's not just one verse in the Bible. It's repeated over and over in First uh, Peter. He says in First Peter, the next chapter, First Peter 3, verse 9, do not pay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called, he says. He repeats himself yet again later in the chapter. He says this, he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Sean, can you go to the, just the previous, uh, the beginning? So here, here, here in the, this verse, verse 19, 18 and 19, he's saying, for it's better to suffer for do- doing good, and and. And, and then he, he gives the explanation, a deeper explanation about why. So it's not only to, that we're being refined and the impurities of our faith are being born, uh, burned away and to be tested that our faith would be shown as real, but because Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. You can, you can go to the next page. 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And, and we've been saying this over and over. I, I know I may sound like a broken record, but you're suffering, he's, Peter's saying, and you, you remain doing good in order to show the world a picture of the gospel of, of Jesus dying for sin and being resurrected to life. And, and just at the end of this verse, it says that he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And when you continue in doing good, regardless of your suffering, the world will see an example of Christ. He says, you're being kept alive in the suffering through the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was made alive by the, and brought back from the dead by the Holy Spirit. That's, you're showing the world a picture of the gospel of Christ. That's what you're showing the world when you continue in doing good in spite of suffering. People around you, and Peter goes through the list, your neighborhood, your community, your, your work, your family, they need the gospel. They need salvation. They need the Lord. And, and you and only you are the only Bible that they'll ever see, may ever see. You need to give them a picture, not only with your words, but your life of the, uh, of the life, the, the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life suffered anyway, but he was resurrected, he was brought alive by the Spirit, and, and that's what you do when you bring Christ into, into your suffering, uh, that's what you do. You show a picture to everyone around you of his life, the death, the resurrection. So it should come as no surprise considering everything Jesus, uh, Peter said up to this point, uh, that in verse 12 it says this, it's a, and, and, and this is where we finished um, the last time we were in First Peter. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So, by, look, you shouldn't be thinking, well, this is a weird, what's, what's up with this? I, I, I came... To, to Jesus Christ, and, 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 and he's the God of the world. He threw the, the, the planets into orbit, and he's allowing me to suffer? Peter's Peter saying, no, 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 no. That's not strange. It's, it's, it's to this you were called, because in the suffering, you, you are, are, are showing a, a picture of salvation to the world, a picture of, of God's uh, of God's glorious, glorious good news. And then in verse uh, uh, 15, uh, 13, he says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And if you are reproached, meaning insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You could also translate it, you, you, you're given rest. It, as hard as it is for me to see and witness when a brother or sister in Christ is suffering, as hard as it is, as much sometimes, sometimes, you know, brothers and sisters in the church, they're suffering, and I would do anything to, 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 to be just to replace them, to become the substitute. 
because it's, it's hard to see someone I love in so much suffering. And, and, and I go, Lord, I just wish I could be in their shoes so that we wouldn't have to go through this anymore. As hard as that is to witness, I'm comforted by the word of God, which does say if, if my brother or sister seeks the Lord, it says the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon them. That is quite a promise. But then it goes on in verse 15. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So what he's saying here, the Apostle Peter, he's saying, now, now, now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that all suffering is a spiritual thing just because it's suffering, suffering for suffering. I'm not saying that. You know, you actually have this in some Eastern religions. We're just all suffering. It's like a good spiritual thing. But there's also the religion of self-pity, which I know something about myself because I participate in it. The religion of self-pity where, well, you know, I'm spiritual because I'm just suffering regardless of what it is. Peter's saying, no, let none of you, verse 15, suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody. Amazing. That this word, he puts busybodies in the same breath as murders, thieves, and evildoers. It is so important, you know, sometimes. Let's just take a little step back right here and change the subject. So important that from time to time we take a step back and consider just how different God's standard of goodness is from our standard of goodness. We think, oh yeah, evil. That's murderers. People who shoot people in the face. Burglars. The Holy Spirit says, yeah, and busybodies. What? You you know, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery. He also says, you have also heard, do not murder. But but speaking with anger to a brother or sister, that will put you in danger of of judgment, he says. And, And so we, you know, we get into this mentality, I'm not such a bad person, I've never murdered anyone or robbed a bank. You know, I, I can be, I know, I can be a busybody every once in a while. Oh, really? According to God's word, on that basis alone, you are in desperate need of the blood of Christ. Because he puts it on the same, same line as murders and, and thieves. Busy body. Any of you busybodies in here, don't raise your hand. The root word in the Greek, it's the word to look, to just to look, just looking inappropriately into the life of another. You know. And then, you know, going after it and and, and trying to control it. And so the the mentality that that he is going after is, um, you know, 
again, the, again, he's speaking to the person who's, who's like, oh, you know, man, I'm suffering. You know, oh, what, what happened to you? Well, you know, for the last two months, I've been checking out this dude's life and everything that was wrong with it. And I made it my business to, to straighten him out. And he punched me in the face. I'm so spiritual. I'm, Jesus just loves me. Ugh. No, no, that's not okay. Suffering because you're a busybody. But he says in verse 16, however, if you suffer for being a Christian, it's the only place outside the book of Acts, by the way, where this term is used, Christian. If you suffer for being a Christian, a follower of Christ, don't be ashamed. but glorify the God in this matter. Whenever you're in a season of suffering, and, and remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. This, this, when you suffer as a Christian, this is talking more than just when you're suffering because someone doesn't like the fact you're a Christian and, you, and, and, and they're persecuting you or they're, they fired you or they've, whatever, they punched you in the face. This is this is. Any suffering whatsoever where you're bringing Christ into it. It says when you suffer as a Christian, when you bring Christ in, in, into the suffering, including, by the way, if you're suffering because of you murdered someone or you, or, or you stole or you were a busybody, if when you are suffering, you, you're, you're broken up about it, you're repenting, and you're bringing Christ into it and you're continuing continuing faithful to the Lord he says don't be ashamed of that you can glorify God in this matter so if you're suffering at work simply by 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 doing your job but you happen to be surrounded by people who are just mean but you just continue your life with Christ, humble, just doing a good job, trying to, to mind your own business, you're glorifying God. Every place of suffering you find yourself in, as a Christian, if you bring Christ into it, you will glorify him in that matter. And then we come to verse 17 and 18. Tough verses. Let's go for it. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, the righteous one is barely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? There's a tough couple of verses there. Let's talk about them. In order to understand them, you, it's really important that you first understand the word judgment and how that is used in the Bible. Sometimes when we look at this word judgment, we automatically think of heaven and hell. We have this very narrow view of it. Jesus separating the sheep from the goats, the sheep to everlasting blessing in heaven, the goats to everlasting torment. However, 
the Bible uses the word judgment in a much, much broader way. Sometimes judging actually brings blessing. It actually brings um, a blessing. So quick study in this word judgment. We learn in the Bible that God is the judge. He's the judge of all the earth. Psalm 94.2, rise up, judge of the earth. This is uh, David talking to, to God here. He's called, he is. He's the judge of the earth. That's who God is. But we also learn that when he judges, he not only judges the bad, the wicked, the evil, he also judges um, the good or to people who are good and to people who faithfully follow him. Look at this verse from Isaiah. It says, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and the meek of the earth. This next verse, Psalm 50, he says, God shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people for God himself is judge. So he judges, he, he does judgment uh, with his, his own people. It is true also, of course, that God does judge the wicked. Are there any wicked here? Tremble, because this says God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. We need the blood of Christ on us because the Bible says we're born wicked. And without the blood of Christ, this is, this is what the Bible says. God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, uh, his, 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 his role as judge, again, is much broader than judging the wicked. He, he judges everyone, those who have given their lives to him, his children, and those who have not. So in what ways does God judge his children? Well, let's look at this verse. This, this really is a good verse for understanding these verses that we're in in 1 Peter. It says, when we are judged, meaning when we're judged by God... We are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. I'm going to read that again. When we are judged by God, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned with the world. So it's for our, our, our protection, the, the judgments um, of God. The, the, they are... Uh, the discipline of God, when we're judged by God. If, we're, if you're a child of God, it means you're being disciplined, you're being refined, you're being chastened, you're being broken and molded into his image. So back in verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So notice the distinction here in the latter part of the verse. He is speaking of those he judges who have not obeyed the gospel. What is the gospel? That the penalty for your sin is death. So says God, the judge of the earth. But the gift of God is eternal life, a gift which is not for sale. It's been already purchased for you by Jesus through his death on the cross. And that gift is yours when you obey the gospel and you make Jesus king of your life. That's what the gospel is. 
Obeying the gospel means accepting the gift of eternal life by making Jesus the king of your life. The latter part of verse 17 says, speaking, uh, speaks of God judging those who have not obeyed the gospel. But the beginning of the verse speaks of God judging those who have. But the judgment on those who have obeyed the gospel is going to be very different than those who have obeyed the gospel. The judgment on those who have obeyed the gospel, it's going to be with the refining, with the refining fire, the discipline, the suffering, the pruning, God breaking and molding you. And notice in verse 17, it says, it begins in the house of God. And which just is my prayer that every single person, man and woman and child sitting in this room understands that when you obey the gospel, when you make Jesus the king of your life, you become a part of the house of God, of God's own house, his own home. You're a member. You are his responsibility. You're under his care. And and, and from cover to cover, the Bible teaches that God's judgment, it does. It begins in his own house. Those of you who are with us on Sunday evenings as we have gone through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, God always begins with his own children, always. That's because he loves them. He loves us enough that he disciplines us and blesses us. But then he always moves to the nations. We saw that in the prophets. And that's the reference here. If judgment of verse 17, the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, so Peter's saying the judgment's going to include judgment on me, the discipline, I go through it too. The apostle, Peter here, is saying what, he continues, will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God. So they could be comforted in their suffering. Remember, just unspeakable amount of suffering going on in the body of Christ at this time. We live in Disneyland here in America. I don't know how much longer. The courts are now in Texas asking pastors for their sermons. Uh, that'll, that'll be good. I'd love for them to have mine. But, um, uh, but uh, so they can read them and be convicted, right? So, but, 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 but there's an amazing amount of suffering and persecution at this time. And believe it or not, this is actually comforting them because the, the point here is that, uh, uh, yes, th- that there may be suffering. You may be undergoing a suffering, but don't forget, if there's been judgment with you, ju- the judgment of discipline, don't forget. Don't think you're just isolated and alone and the the only one under the rod of God's correction. He says, can you imagine if your suffering has been this, what it's going to be like to those who have not obeyed the the gospel? And so um, it's true that, 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 you know, sometimes there's suffering in the body of Christ and there's no sin at all or violation of God's word associated with it. It's just what God wants us in in order to bring a picture of the gospel to the world. But other times it's true that when there is complacency, 
in the body of Christ amongst his children, when there is a lack of gratefulness, when, there, uh, when the church becomes so self-absorbed or lazy or, or sin creeps into God's house, God is faithful to judge. But the point here is, if someone who has obeyed the gospel of God has suffered as a result of God's judgment, what on earth is going to become of those who have not? In 2 Thessalonians verse one, chapter 1, it says this, Buckle your seatbelts. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do, do not know God and on those who, same phrase, do not obey the gospel, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, I just want to look at that and just reflect on this. What does this do to you? What does this do to you when you read these verses? Now, if you've never made Jesus the king of your life, you should be terrified. It's true. But let me tell you, if you're faithfully walking with God, you should look at a verse like this, you should reflect on a verse like this, and you should just worship Jesus, just for the, 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 how great his salvation of you is. The, the, when you come across this in the word of God, if, you, if you've been walking with God, it, it's, these verses are not meant to, 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 to depress you or discourage you. These verses were meant to stir up worship in your heart. So great is your salvation. God's saving you. He he took you from darkness to light. He took you from everlasting destruction into the, the, the inheritance of his children, of the kingdom of light. That's what he has done. And 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 you should you should you should just worship the Lord. When you come across these verses, don't let Satan rip you off by you know reading this and 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 all you know sort of trying to skip as quickly as you can to the next verse. No, God is judge, and He is going to judge the earth, but He has set aside you for salvation, and now you're in His house, you're in His care, you're you're in His love. That's what the Bible teaches. So Peter's bringing things into perspective to these people. They're in persecution. They're in great suffering as a result. He says, I know the suffering is, in di- is difficult, but really it's not. The suffering that is difficult really is the suffering that will occur to those who have not obeyed the gospel, who have rejected God's gift of eternal life, who have rejected Jesus as king of their life. If you're in here this morning and you have not given your life to Jesus to be king of your life, the Bible says there will be eternal suffering. And I would be ripping all of you off if I left that out of my message. Then he goes on in verse 18. He says, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved... Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Well, we just read, Sean just 
put it on the projection screen, what happens wh- where, they're ungodly, uh, where they're ungodly will appear. But what about this verse, if the righteous one is scarcely saved? What on earth does that mean? Does that mean that in order to be saved, we just have to try as hard as we can to to do good things and good works, and it's like climbing up a mountain, and then you get to the top, and if, you, if, you're, if you're strong enough and good enough, you'll get to the top of that mountain of salvation. No, it doesn't. It does not mean that. The Bible says immediately, when you make Jesus the king of your life, you pass from death to life forever. The book of Hebrews says in chapter 10, God has perfected forever those who he is sanctifying. It's a a forever thing. Once you have put Jesus, installed him as king of your heart. But then what does this mean? What on earth does this mean? If the righteous one is scarcely saved. Well, as you may imagine, folks disagree about this. Some of them point to Luke chapter 13. Let's put this up. Luke chapter 13, this is Jesus talking. It says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Again, this is Jesus. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. I was really blessed recently, Matt Harris, who recently was married. When this verse was, was quoted about a year ago, it just struck him in the heart and it literally, it saved him. It just pierced his heart. The word strive there means to agonize. Agonize, to enter through the narrow gate. How do you get through the narrow gate? Really simple. A prayer of faith in in which you install Jesus as the Lord of King in your heart. But Jesus says, and this is true, that if, 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 if if you did that flippantly or lightly or oh yeah sure (laughs) come on jesus come on to the throne of my heart oh cool everyone else is doing it i'm going to do it too that wasn't real there's a striving process an agonizing process where you realize just what your sin what your disobedience to the word of god what it did to god it killed him that's what it did. And there's, there's, that, there's that, 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 that agonizing, that striving, that, oh God, how did I do that? Where by faith you go right into the gate. But it says many, many seek to enter and will not be able because they don't want to go there. They don't want to go to the place where they realized just what a great salvation the cross really was. They don't want to go to the place where they, they, they admit that, wow, I'm really that bad. They don't want to go there. And so there is the sense there that, that, that when the righteous are saved, they're scarcely saved because the gate is narrow. There's also the sense in this verse that since this, this whole really letter is about suffering, that the salvation that a Christian, um, that, that we inherit, there is going to be suffering. And so the idea there is if the, if the righteous have, have suffered, 
well, certainly the ungodly and the sinner um, will as well. And then he concludes in verse 19. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Your creator is faithful. He is so faithful. He is so willing to just to, to, to catch you when you fall, to bless you, to love you, to protect your salvation, to protect your walk. He's so faithful. You know, I, most of you know that I, I grew up next to the ocean doing crazy things in the ocean, but it was my dad's fault. He, he made me do all these things. And uh, one of the first things I saw him do was... Uh, as a, as, a, as a young kid, he, he used to, where's this place that uh, we go to in Cape, in the Cape, Cape Cod, actually some of you have gone there with me, where there's a, there's a bridge, underneath the bridge, when the tide is going out, there's a torrential current. So what do you do when there's a bridge with a torrential current on it? What do you do? You jump into it, of course, right? And so that's what, you know, I saw my dad do, I got to do it too. And so what do I do when I'm a dad and when I have kids? What do you think I'm going to do? Huh? So what, what we do is we put a, a rope underneath this bridge, and it's a long rope, and I sit in the rope, and the current is bashing up against me, and I'm like, get my kids on the top of the bridge. Come on. Come on, come on, really. Trust me. And guess what? They jumped. My daughter Faith, when she was four years old, she broke the record off that bridge when she was four. You know, she had a lifeguard. That was her mom that made her do that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> There's no way she was going to jump off without a, li- a life preserver, ra- rather. She had a life preserver on. But, but you know, you had a four-year-old kid diving into deep torrential water. <laughs> the, the, the current is so strong, it actually can take a kid right under the surface. We've seen it happen. And yet, why did she do it? Because we had proven ourselves trustworthy in her life. We had. She knew she could trust us. She knew we weren't going to do something uh, with her that we wouldn't be there to catch her. And when she jumped off, of course... We caught her, and then she wanted to do it again and again and again and again. <laughs> but, but, but it's the same way with, you know, with the Lord. You know, we get into a season of our life, and it's like, really, Lord, you want me to jump off this bridge into that? And he says, yeah, yeah, I do. And I know for my own life, just looking back at my own life, He has never let me down, not even once. Never has he asked me to jump. He has not faithfully gathered me into his arms, but more than that, when I've jumped, when he hasn't told me in different occasions, he gets me anyway. He's he's faithful. 
And it's a beautiful thing. He says up there in verse uh, 17, if you suffer as a Christian, uh, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of your Savior. Don't be ashamed to let people know that you have a faithful God, a faithful creator. Don't be ashamed of that. He has a history of catching you faithfully, whether you were supposed to jump or not. He is a faithful creator. I'm going to call the worship team up at this point. And as well, if you've been asked to pray, please come up. We're just going to close with a worship song. Actually, you can rise now. We're going to rise and worship the Lord. We were created to worship. We read the Word of God so that we can worship, so we, that we know whom that we believe, who we worship. And if you've heard, you've heard, for example, verse 19, if you suffer according to the will of God in doing good, you're blessed, but you're not feeling blessed in your suffering. You're not rejoicing in it. We read earlier that, that, that Christians actually have the privilege of rejoicing in it. If you're in a season of suffering... And you want a brother or sister to get alongside of you and just pray for God's grace in your life that you can rejoice as you should. Come up and pray with us. And I've been in that place so many times. In the, again, the religion of self-pity. That's what we get into. That's what I get into. Speaking to my own heart here. I didn't deserve this. This is awfully strange. No, no. I'm supposed to be rejoicing. God is that good that we can rejoice in that. Or, you know, m maybe you're at this place where you're not suffering at all. You, <laughs> you're in this, in, you're on the top of a wave, and you've caught that wave. You're in a glorious season, but you've had an ungrateful heart. Man, have I been there too. And you just want to, you just want a brother, sister to come alongside of you and, and pray for God's grace to open your eyes. How grateful you should be. Or, if you have never, if you're standing here this morning, if you've never made Jesus the king of your life. When I was 22 years old, I made Jesus the king of my life, even though I had spent a good part of my life in church. Never had done it before. If you've never done that, come up. Come up and, and pray. It's a simple prayer of faith doing that. And after that prayer of faith, the Bible says you pass from death to life. And you're in a place where you can, you can rejoice with the Lord being in the home, the house of God. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name just for the, the word that you brought forth today. I pray that you would draw people now to worship you draw people up, Lord, to pray. Draw people just to endear the deep places in your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name.